And so, God, we pray, I will love you. God, my strength. I will love you, God, my shield. I will love you, God, my rock, forever, all my days. I will love you, God. God, we love you because you first loved us. We didn't start this relationship. You initiated it all. You created us from before the foundation of the world. You chose us to be yours. You determined to love us that far back. You brought us into physical existence. You breathed your life into our lungs. You came to share our life. You came to die our death. You know exactly the struggles that we're going through at any moment. You've been there. You've done that. God, you shared our death and then the Holy Spirit raised you from the dead and you're alive forevermore. You are here. Not just here in this building, certainly not. Just within the hearts of all who love you. You're in the homes of those who are gathered now around our community, or around our region, or around the world, wherever people are tuning in right now, God, you are there. You are Emmanuel, the God who is with us. You are Yahweh Shema, the God who is here. Jesus, you have promised, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, even when you were preparing to leave us physically, you said, if I go, I will send another comforter, another comforter who is identical to me, the Holy Spirit, the breath and the life of the living God. So we pray, come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Pray you'd come and fill each room right now, each home, each heart that is with us. Make your presence known to each person. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, together, let's say that, amen. May it be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. This past Thursday was what's called Ascension Day, a day we remember uh, Jesus at the very end of, of Luke chapter 24, as we're going to read today, we've added that section of scripture about the ascension of Jesus. Uh, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, so he is there with him. He is available, accessible to us, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever speaks on our behalf. He is there beside the Father, praying for us hearing our prayers, listening for our challenges and our needs. We're going to continue in our story of the study of the Emmaus encounter. Today, part five, we took a week off for Mother's Day, but part five of this extraordinary day that took place, Easter Sunday, the beginning of the chapel, we'll read about Jesus 
resurrection. The tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen as he told you who he would be. The angels notify the women. The women notify the disciples. The disciples go themselves. Later that day, two of the disciples were a little isolated, which is always a dangerous place for us to be. That's one of the hardest things for me personally about this time is the, is the deep isolation that we have. Unfortunately, we still have other means to communicate with each other, but it is different to be in this season. I know many of you are uh, longing and hoping for us to be back together, and that day will come. It's not coming this week. It's uh, going to be a little bit further out. We want to be safe. We want to uh, act in love to those who are more vulnerable uh, among us. But we're here, and we are together, and we can reach out to each other and uh, live life together, even at a physical distance. Uh, God can overcome uh, those challenges. And then he, he showed up to those two who had, again, isolated themselves and went on their own path, kind of back to their old way of life. And we read in Luke 24, as we pick up uh, the account, that as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus himself, who had joined them, Jesus himself came to walk with them on their journey. I love the fact that uh, if our hearts are open, he would love to enjoy experiencing life with us, sharing our lives with us. But they uh, read that as they continued, that Jesus continued on as if he were going, going further, uh, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. It's a dark day for them because to their senses, to their sensory perception, Jesus had been crucified, he had been buried, the story was over, their dreams were shattered, the kingdom was done. But they said, stay with us. Good instincts. He went in to stay with them. Do you like that reality? That when we ask Jesus to stay with us, he comes in to stay with us. And while he was at the table with them, how mundane, not at a, a religious institution, not at a temple, a mosque, not at a church, he's at the table with them. He's enjoying an everyday life with them. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared from their sight. But their eyes having been opened, they, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? even before they recognized his physical presence. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Can we stop just and pray for a moment? Living God, we pray that our hearts would burn within us while you talk with us right now on the journeys of our lives. And we pray that you would open the scriptures to us and speak to us through your word. Speak to us from your heart. Speak to us, Father, from the overflow of your Abba Father's heart to us. Speak to us from, through the voice of the anointed King, Jesus. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's children said, Amen. They got up, we read, and they returned at once to Jerusalem because 
the mission is back on for them. Their recognition is there that Jesus is alive and the story has not ended. And there they found the 11 and those with them, the 12 followers of Jesus, the disciples, the followers, and also other followers who we don't know, who are assembled together. It's, it's true, the Lord has risen, and he's appeared to Simon. And then the two shared what happened to them on the way. There were multiple witnesses who had encountered in person the risen Jesus. And they shared how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread, when they sensed that he was there with them to share life with them. And while they were still talking about this, may it be, may this be a reality in your home right now, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. May my peace rest on you. Well, they were startled and they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. You see, they believed in Jesus, but they weren't fully confident that Jesus maybe knew what he was talking about because dead people don't rise. They weren't credulous. They didn't have some confusion in life about whether dead people come back to life. They didn't, not then and not now, but Jesus did, and he's there. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? We can walk with Jesus for a long time, but still have doubts, still have questions. Use those questions to, to push you to God's word and to push you into God's presence and to push you to be around God's people for answers. The questions are what encourage us to seek for answers. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet, he gives some evidence. It's not a leap of faith, it's a leap, but it's a leap that is contingent upon evidence. It's I myself. Earlier we read, Jesus himself came to walk with them. And now he says, it is I myself who is here with you. In fact, don't just look, touch. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. May your meal today, lunch, dinner, may your meals today be eaten in the presence of Jesus. That's what he wants. And he said to them, this is what I told you. All that's taking place here on this crazy, confusing space of time, of Passion Week, that Thursday night, that meal that we had had, and that time in the garden, and the time praying, and my arrest, and my trial, and my pronouncement, being pronounced innocent four times of any crime, of any sin, and yet being convicted and sentenced to die, and my execution on a Roman instrument of torture and humiliation and intimidation, and then my burial, and the fact that I was completely absent from you, 
taken place. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. In the Hebrew Scriptures, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, the Psalms. Three, different, three great sections of the Hebrew Scriptures are Old Testament, the Law of Moses, that's the five books of the Pentateuch, the Prophets, the, the later the five large prophets, significant prophets, uh, expansive prophets, and then the 12 minor prophets, which just means not in, uh, unimportant people, that their, their uh, writings are uh, more concise, a little briefer. And then the Psalms, and the Psalms is the first book that's in the section of Scripture called the Writings. And it's about me, Jesus said. Everything had to be fulfilled that is written about me. And then he opened their minds, another great opening. God opened the tomb at the beginning. And then God you know, opened their eyes to recognize Jesus. As, and then they talked about their hearts burning as he opened the scriptures. Now he opens their minds so they can understand the scriptures. And God, we, we pray this. We don't just read this. We pray that right now, that we would open, have our, our minds open so we could understand the scriptures. They told him, this is what is written, the Messiah, God's anointed king. The Messiah, the Christ, will suffer. And he will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the, begin, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And starting at all places, beginning in Jerusalem the place where Jesus has just faced all those events, the arrest, the trial, the sentencing, the beating, the crucifixion, the burial. Out of that death is going to come life. Beginning right in our hometown. And you are witnesses of these things. You have seen, you've heard, you've even touched me to experience them for yourselves. You're a witness of these things. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. That's Pentecost Sunday. That's next Sunday what we celebrate. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Pause for a minute and ask yourself, Father promise. What has the Father promised? We may have to go way back into the, the Hebrew Scriptures to find out. We may have to go way back in the Gospel of Luke on all the other four Gospels, to ask what has the Father promised to his sons and daughters. But stay in the city, Jerusalem. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Until God, from the heavens, pours out his grace, his spirit. The end of Luke 24 is continued in the sequel called the book of Acts, Luke Part two, Jesus' empire strikes back. God pours out his spirit. And the ending of Luke 24 is kind of replicated and expanded on in the beginning of Acts chapter 1. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Verse 50, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. Don't you love the fact that Jesus keeps showing up at Bethany? I, that's, that just does my heart good. Jesus loved to spend time at Bethany. Lord Jesus, we welcome you to our Bethany, which is now not really physically here, but spiritually wherever, wherever the people of the Bethany family are. Would you make yourselves at home with us? 
And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him. And on this day where it started with them mourning his death and coming to his tomb to anoint his body, they returned to Jerusalem, the scene of the crime, but they returned with great joy. A day that started with shock and horror, sadness, grief, devastation, ends with them returning to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple. The temple is the place where God's presence is found. Praising God. That was their lifestyle. Well, we've talked about the Easter story, about the anointed king. We've moved on now to the Easter story about his anointed followers. That's you and I. Last week we kind of said we're going to talk about four or five things that come out of just these uh, three to four pa page, uh, passages of Scripture uh, from uh, verses 46, 47, 48, and 49. Last week we talked about the fact that we met someone incredible that we want others to encounter. That was point number one. We met someone incredible we want others to encounter. Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. And we said, what's a witness? Well, it's like a, we have with a Homeland Security. A witness is someone who has seen something and so they say something. We've seen something and experienced something. And God calls us now to say something, to communicate something, to share something with other people. And this is lived out in the book of Acts when we read about John and Peter in Acts chapter 4 who were confronted to say, and said, stop talking about this Jesus. The point, I think, the underlying tension for them would be, you know what happened to Jesus and you're no better than Jesus. The same thing could happen to you. And so we read... Their, their response, we cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. We can't stop. We sing a song sometimes. Kelsey, we should sing that again. Can't stop singing about your love. We've been changed. We've been transformed by experiencing the presence of Jesus. And we can't not tell people about it. Or, or in chapter 5, after they've been told again not to speak about Jesus, they, they said, well, we are witnesses of these things. We've seen them. We've heard them. We've touched our hands of handled, right? We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Can you sense the fact that Pentecost Sunday is approaching? And the reminder of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on that day to the people of God and who lives with those who believe in Jesus to this day. And next Sunday we're going to pray, God, do it again. Fill us in a new and a fresh way with your Holy Spirit, with the fire of God, with the breath of God, with the life of God, with the water of God. We met someone incredible we want others to encounter. The second point we're going to focus on today is this. We received something life-changing. We received something life-changing that we must share. 
we are compelled to share. We read it one more time, verses 46 and following. He said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah, he will suffer. He will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, in the name of Jesus. It will happen to all nations. It will start in Jerusalem. And how on earth will you be able to do this, the seventh principle, our focus for next week? I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. But stay in the city. Stay in the city. Jerusalem is where the Spirit is going to fall. Don't leave home base until, until you have been clothed with power from on high. What's he saying? I'm going to highlight five things this morning. Letter A, Jesus is God's spirit-anointed king. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 when David was anointed as the king and Samuel the prophet came and poured the oil over David, the least likely of his family, seven older, big, strapping, uh, bright, impressive brothers, and then David who was not real significant, so he's given a kind of a smelly, stinky job. He's a shepherd. Shepherds aren't looked down upon. Shepherds couldn't testify. Sometimes shepherds, in their lack of cleanliness, couldn't even come into the presence of God in the temple. And I love the fact that the shepherds were to whom the angels came and showed them the way to Jesus when he was born. Jesus is God's spirit-appointed king and shepherd, and that's who we proclaim. This is what is written. It's about me, he said. It's about the Messiah, the one God's spirit rests on. Isaiah 61, we don't have to read it. You're familiar with it. And Jesus in Luke chapter 4 reads that out loud in the synagogue as his first message and then closed, rolls, rolls that scroll back up and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. This is not a historical ancient document. This is living reality and it's happening right now. That's who we're proclaiming. That's the message is about Jesus. Well, what about Jesus? He was anointed by God's spirit Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always working together in Scripture. Letter B, he was executed on a Roman cross, but he was raised to life. We could look up and reference the Hebrew Scriptures about his execution and his suffering. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, the suffering servant of the Lord. But he was raised to life. We could look at Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, uh, a psalm that the book of Hebrews puts... Uh, uh, of Acts uh, puts uh, on the lips of Jesus as he's on his way to and on the cross. He prays, I see the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. He's right here. In, in reality, at his right hand was a thief and at his left hand was a thief. But for Jesus, his focus is on the Lord. And so God is with him right in the middle of the mess, right in the middle of the storm. God raised him 
to life. And Psalm 16 beautifully shows the confidence of Jesus in his Father, the faith of Jesus in his Abba Father, that even if he goes to the grave, the Father will not abandon him to the pit. In your presence, he ends, God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. There are pleasures that never stop. That's Psalm 16, that he has on his lips on the cross. It's good to have scripture in our heart and on our lips. And now the kind of the core of this message that's going to be communicated. It's so concise here in the book of Acts. It's kind of one line. Repentance, this is what's happened about the Messiah, anointed by the Spirit, died, raised. But the result is this, that repentance. This is... Uh, Point C, repentance. Repentance is what brings us back home to God. Repentance brings us back home from God. Now this is, a, again, the gospel of Luke. It's the gospel of Luke. Have we heard about repentance elsewhere in Luke? Well, at the beginning of Luke, we know that we read about the reality of John the baptizer who came and said, repent, because the kingdom of God is so close that every one of you can touch it. The kingdom of God is here, now available. And then in Luke 15, we, we read about repentance. We, we read about a, a young man, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And we read about a a young man that we call the prodigal son. Man had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. That usually happens upon the death of the father, not during the life of the father. He essentially tells his dad, Dad, uh, I'd be okay if you keeled over right now. I just want my share of what's coming to me. The father divided his property between them. There are two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got it together all he had. Apparently felt like relationship with his father wasn't important, but the money from the father was important. Got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He had lost everything, spent everything, wasted everything. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. My uncle was a pig farmer, a hog farmer. I spent time on a hog farm. Not a real pleasant job to work with hogs. But this guy was Jewish, this young man. And so he had nothing to eat, but he longed to fill his stomach with the pods. We call it slop. The slop that the pigs were eating. When you don't have anything, just about anything looks good. But nobody gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, that phrase is at the heart of what it means to repent to rethink the path that you're on, to kind of pause and say, this path is not getting me where I want to go. And then 
recalculating, recalculating, recalculating to turn back to come home to the Father. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's just the hired servants, much less his family, the hired servants, food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Whenever we sin, it's against people, sometimes ourselves, sometimes others, but it's against God himself. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. I'll, I'll just work for you. Just let me eat at the table. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How is it possible that if you're a long way off in the hill country of Palestine, how is it that your father could see you while you're still a long way off? I believe it's because that the father has been looking for that son to come home for a long, long time, and he's never stopped looking. So that when the son is a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Can you imagine a, a father whose son says, Dad, it'd be fine if you drop dead right now as long as I get my inheritance up front. And that kid comes home. What kind of a speech does that kid get? What, what is filling your heart right then? This gives you a, a window into the picture of Jesus, a window into the, the heart of Jesus. And it gives you a window into the heart of the father. While he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, which is typically beneath the dignity of a father in that era, in that time, under the customs they lived under. Ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son but didn't even get to finish his speech. Uh, make me one of your servants. Just let me live in the, the outbuildings. Let me live in the barn. Let me just eat with the servants. But the father interrupts and says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Even when we've been a prodigal, even when we've run pretty hard away from our father, the father still loves his beloved sons and daughters. Bring the best rope and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Restore him to family connection. Put sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. The, the calf that we've been saving for that big celebration. That calf we've been saving for that all church potluck when we can once again get together in person and, and see each other. Bring that one. We're ready for it now, today. Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found. 
But you know, we can run from God in a number of different ways. This son wasn't uh, interested in being in the presence of the father. Let's hear from the other son. We read verse 25. Meanwhile, the other son was in the field. He was working on behalf of the father. He had never left and gone about cavorting about in other countries, spending the father's money. He was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And if you look at the kind of the context of the story, starting in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is talking with people who have blown it, with tax collectors, with known sinners. But we see also that some religious people are there who haven't done these bad things, they think. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people who should know better, they should know about the compassionate heart of the Father. But they are mumbling and muttering and grumbling and complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's who the older brother represents, those of us who maybe have known God for a long time and maybe haven't done some of the bad things that some other people have done. But our hearts are hard to our Father. Oh, we serve what we grumble. We serve what, what we complain. He got angry. He refused to go into the party. He didn't want to celebrate with the Father. Look at what happens. His father went out and pleaded with him. His father left the celebration. This older brother mattered to God too, mattered to the father too. That the father always, always, always takes the initiative with us. He comes out of the party, pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Asterisk, doubt it. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal for our lives. But from his perspective, I've been slaving for you, not been working under the umbrella of your love and provision, slaving for you. That's his perspective. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. And the older brother gets a fattened calf, the good stuff. So I could celebrate not with you, but with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. You are blessed to be in relationship with me all the time. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Why? Because he repented. He recognized the path that he was on. He turned around and came back to God. He turned away from his sin. He turned back to God. Michael Wilcox writes on Luke and said that these three parables, the lost sheep, lost coin, the lost son, show us our misery as human beings in being lost and they show us God's joy in finding him, you and I. It's an account of the misery of human beings from running from God. And this joy that the Father has in that reconnection. 
that the great plan of salvation has been brought about. Repentance is God's offer of a, of a new start, a clean slate, a, a new beginning. That's what repentance is, God's offer of a new start and our turning from our old path to come home and to accept that. It's, uh, Grant Osborne says, it's a, a changed heart. He came to his senses. A changed heart that leads to changed behavior. And in Luke 15, we read that, I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, who comes home, than over 99, maybe ask, I think Jesus is speaking with an asterisk here, or, or in quote, quotation marks, right? 99 righteous people. There is none righteous, the prophet Isaiah said. There's not one. 99 righteous people who do not need to repent, who think they don't need to repent, who think that they're righteous, who are self-righteous. God said it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or what's happened to you. What matters is that you're back home. What matters is that we're back in relationship. That's repentance. Repentance, let us see, brings us back home to God. And then letter D, and that opens the door to God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is just God's response to our repentance. Repentance opens the door, letter D, to God's forgiveness. And that sets us free from the penalty that sin brings, the shattering of relationship, the walking in darkness, not in the light, the life lived not in the life of God, but under the sentence of death. We'll read more about forgiveness that's offered, that comes through repentance, and of course the gospel of Acts, especially Acts 2.38 and Acts 5.31. But the final kind of principle today is letter E. And this is the message of Jesus. This message has been entrusted to, of all people, to you and to me as God's spokespersons, spokespersons, right? His ambassadors, his representatives. Remember he said earlier that you are witnesses of these things, Luke 24, 48. In the book of Acts, we saw earlier, Acts 5, 32, the followers of Jesus claimed that for themselves. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who's been given by God to those who obey him. You are witnesses of these things, and, and these things are going to be announced in the name of Jesus to other people, beginning in Jerusalem, to all nations. In the book of Acts, Warren Wiersbe points out that the word witness is used in one way or another. Word in, in Greek is martyros. It's a word from which we get our word uh, to testify and to, to witness, but also the word for a martyr, someone who gives their life because of their confidence in Jesus Christ. 29 times it's used in the book of Acts. As, as Christians, we are not judges or prosecuting attorneys sent to condemn the world. We are witnesses 
who point to Jesus Christ and who tell lost sinners how they can be found. Can we pray as our worship team comes up for a, a final song? God, it's easy in the world that we live in to look around and to criticize other people and how they do things. There's criticism in our world of people who wear masks in public and people who don't. There's criticism of government officials, depending on which political party you come from. There's more vociferous criticism of those who uh, you don't find yourself aligned with in your life. There's criticism of people who want to get back to work because of financial concerns and people who want to stay kind of in a social quarantine because of health concerns. There's criticism of, of, of decisions that have been made right and wrong by political leaders throughout the last two to three months. We live in a world of criticism. We live in a world of cynicism. We live in a world where it's easy to look around and find someone to complain about, to criticize We're called not to live like that. We're called to live as ambassadors of the Most High God, as representatives, as spokespersons, spokesmen, spokeswomen of the living Jesus, the suffering, crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected Jesus. He asked us to tell other people about it. We can't do it in our own strength. That's why we need to come back next week and the weeks to follow to find out about the ministry of the Holy Spirit about whom we don't sometimes know very much as Christians and we should. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to flood us, to animate us, to activate us. Just today recognize this is our calling. This is our mandate. This is our mission. To call people, to announce to people, listen, the path you're on is not leading to life. Come back home to the Father. We're, we're called to tell people, listen, how's that working out for you, the way you're living life in your own power, under your own steam? Shutting God out of all involvement in your life. Just doing what seems right in your own eyes. Just trusting your own judgment. That path is leading you to destruction turn around and come home to God. If you sense God saying, listen, there's life, there's nourishment, there's food, there's a robe, there's a ring, <clears throat> there's a home, there's a community, a connection, a fellowship that I want you to enjoy that you're missing out on right now, why not just tell him, God, I'm in. I look around and I see all I've accomplished with all that I've done apart from you. It's pig slop. Can I come home? And look up and see your father running. Running. Running to embrace you. Running to welcome you home. never one of us who has come home we didn't come home just to sit and to lounge we came home for God to anoint us with his spirit come back next week to anoint us with his spirit
as his spokesman, his spokeswoman, his spokesboy, his spokesgirl, his ambassador, his representative, the one who's going to be the director of communications to share his heart, his love, his affection, his way with other people. Living God, would you pour out on us your grace? We are beyond humbled. We are staggered in, as we hear that you've called us to be witnesses. We're to be the people who tell people about the promise of the Father, about the Holy Spirit that can breathe life into the lives, the hearts, the spirits of everyone that we encounter. God, would you bring about a, a fresh Pentecost in our time? Would you speak in us and speak through us your words of hope, of grace, of kindness, not of condemnation? Help us not to be older brothers or sisters. Help us to be people who are just sharing with everybody that we meet. There's a place for you at our Father's table. And there's a place for you in our Father's heart. And our Father has sent His Son to our world specifically to show you His path, His way, His love, His life. And God has sent His Spirit so that you can know that new and fresh relationship. God, every one of us, right where we are, we ask you, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the spirit of Jesus. Fill us with the Holy Spirit of the fire, the breath, and the life of God the Father himself. And then send us as your spirit-anointed spokespeople to our friends, to our neighbors, to our families, to our community, to our world. We ask in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, amen.